Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The title of what we want to discuss today, this morning, well this afternoon, uh, briefly is uh, the two mediators. The two mediators. And as soon as, as I say that title, maybe something will come to mind where you say, oh yeah, I know some people who believe in, in, a, in the Trinity maybe, and the Trinity teaching leads them to believe in two mediators. And of course, that's obviously not biblical. That's, that's, not, that's not true to have, you know, uh, Christ and then there's the Holy Spirit as the mediator. That's what some people actually believe. That's not what I'm going to be talking about as such. I'm going to be talking about two mediators that... Uh, are actually biblical, that are actually in the scriptures. And as soon as I talk about that, uh, you, you probably might be thinking of a verse uh, in 1 Timothy that talks about Christ being the mediator. So let's go to that verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, it talks about Christ as our mediator. And I want us to focus on something, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. And this verse is one that we would often quote. It's one that we would often refer to. It's one that we're quite familiar with. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ, Jesus. And it's based on this verse that we rightly believe that there is only one mediator and none other. There can be no one else to assist Christ or help him in his work of mediator. But I want to examine this verse a little closer today and see what we can discover because the title says the two mediators, right? So how, how does that work together? First of all, we need to define some terms. What does the word <coughs> mediator mean? So, uh, it signifies or it literally means a middle person, right? What, what was someone said something? Yeah? A go between, that's another really good one. A go between, someone whose office or whose function is to reconcile or connect two parties. Of course, in Christ's work, uh, he does that reconciliation. He's the peacemaker. He's the go-between. There are many terms that signify, uh, you know, give us different shades of meaning as to what mediator is talking about here. Christ is the only mediator between God and man. He's the only one that reconciled humanity back to God. He's the only one that stands between us and God, not as a block, but as a connection between us and God. He is the only mediator. But I want us to keep something in mind. Looking at this verse, this verse actually, as far as Paul is concerned, he's writing it, it has an application from a certain point or from a certain time period. According to the verse, the mediator is who? There's an important description before he says Christ Jesus. It says the mediator is the man Christ Jesus, correct? Think about that for a minute. Paul is identifying here the humanity of the Son of God. He says we now have this mediator. He is the man Christ Jesus. That's why I'm saying this verse applies from a certain point. And I think we all know the answer. When did the Son of God become a, a man. He only became a man in his incarnation. 
And so the emphasis of Paul here is now, he's writing obviously after Christ came as a man, now we have this one mediator between us and God. He is the man, the human being, Christ Jesus. So, was the man Christ Jesus mediating before he became a man? No. Was there no mediator? No, of course there was. It was the Son of God, the divine Son of God. But there was no human mediator yet. We're just looking at the words of the verse, right? Now, this is a very significant point because it helps us appreciate something as far as the humanity of the Son is concerned. And we're going to come back to that, hopefully, in a little bit. But the incarnation here is key to understanding this verse. So Christ was not always a mediator as a man. This verse is talking about his, media uh, his mediation as a man. And as a man, he's the only mediator that we have now. So why did I title uh, the study or the discussion this morning, The Two Mediators? Because there is another mediator that is brought out in the scriptures, other than Christ. Let's have a look at a verse in Galatians chapter 3. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm treading carefully here because we, we talk about people who anyone who believes in any other mediator is, is wrong. But let's look at what the Apostle Paul here writes in Galatians chapter 3. And this verse talks also about a mediator. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19 is what we're looking at. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Paul here writing says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come, to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. And here's the question. Who is this mediator that Paul is referring to here? Now, I should put it to you that uh, this verse sometimes, uh, there's a little bit of discussion, maybe debate, maybe confusion, as to who Paul is referring to when he talks about the mediator. And some people will use the verse that we just used in 1 Timothy, and they say, well, there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Therefore, the mediator in this verse must be Christ Jesus. And that sounds very good and very true. But is this what Paul is referring to? This is what we're going to find out. And this is why the question we need to ask is, when or what time period is Paul referring to here? It's easy to understand what he's talking about when we remember the definition of a mediator. It means a go-between, someone who stands as uh, a medium or, or a go-between, go and what else did we say? A peacemaker, someone who connects two parties or two groups. What is the timing that Paul is referring to in this verse? He's talking about this event, about the, the law that was added that was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. What event is he referring to here? When was the law added and ordained by angels by the hand of a mediator? At Mount Sinai, at the giving of the law. And we're talking about the law here, giving the entire system of the law. So keeping this time period in mind will help us understand who the mediator that he's referring to is. If we go to the book of Leviticus, the answer is... Uh, is uh, plain. There's only really two options. It's either Christ or Moses. That's really the only options that, that people usually have. So some will say this, some will say that. We just want to determine clearly. Leviticus 26, verse 46. Leviticus 
26, verse 46. Amen. Here the Bible tells us, These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. Remember what he said in Galatians? It says it was ordained by angels or through angels by the hand of a mediator. Here it tells us it was by the hand of Moses. So who did Paul have in mind when he said by the hand of a mediator? He had in mind Moses. It was Moses who stood between God and the people of Israel. You remember? He was the mediator of that dispensation or of that system or of that period. We're going to come back to that as well and look at it in detail. Uh, he's the one through whom the law was given. And so when we talk about the two mediators, now we've identified them. It is Christ and Moses. So there is another mediator in the scriptures. It is Moses. And Moses served a purpose up until a certain point, as we shall see. Let's go to John chapter 7. I want to look at another verse here. Again, this is significant because this is from the lips of Christ himself. John chapter 7. <clears throat> and when we talk about Moses and we talk about the law of Moses and these aspects, what does Jesus say? John 7 verse 19. John, Gospel of John chapter 7 verse 19. Jesus speaking, he says, did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why do you go about to kill me? Again, I want you to think about some of these verses we're going to look at here. According to Jesus, who gave the law? According to this verse. It was Moses. Now, if I were to ask you, was it really Moses who gave the law? The law originated with who? It was actually Christ himself who was speaking to the people. He's the one who had spoken the law through Moses. So why is Christ here saying it was Moses who gave the law? He was the last link between the people. Okay, yes, he was making a point. Christ was emphasizing and making a point. He didn't say, I gave you the law. He didn't say, God gave you the law. He says, Moses gave you the law, and yet you disobeyed. Why is he emphasizing Moses? Because Moses was the mediator. And there's a very significant point here. Moses was the mediator of that mosaic dispensation, that dispensation of the law. That's why we refer to it as the law of Moses. And that's not to say that Moses originated it, but he's the mediator, or he's the last link, as, as you put it there. That's a good point. You see... <clears throat> Moses being a mediator between God and Israel was a very significant type, was a very significant prophecy acted out. It was a type and it was a prophecy of Christ himself. That's why he's emphasizing this point. And when we see that, when we see the two uh, comparisons and contrasts between these two mediators, it helps us appreciate something of the difference and that's what I want to look at a little bit as we look at these two mediators. Uh, in order for uh, a mediator to function in a capacity and be accepted, he needs to be a faithful or a right representative of the parties that he connects. 
You see, the mediator in the, in this, uh, as far as Israel was concerned, was Moses. Moses was a human being because one of the parties that were being linked was the children of Israel. Not only was Moses a human being, he had to be an Israelite. That's exactly what he was because he was the medium, the link between the Israelites and between God. But he was not a complete or a perfect mediator because he is not a permanent one, we have now the better mediator. He was a type of the mediation of Christ that would come, where Christ would become a human being like us, and he was already the divine son of God, and so he fulfills in himself a connection between both parties completely. And that's why now he is our only mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. Moses was a type for that. An incomplete, a small scale, picture or a type of the greater reality that Christ would, uh, you know, one day fulfill. And just to confirm this, because like I said, some people say, well, hold on a minute. The Bible says one mediator. I can't accept that Moses is the mediator in that verse. There's a very interesting uh, incident in the history of Israel that happened that illustrates clearly that Moses was indeed the mediator and he functioned and operated in that capacity. Remember when Israel sinned and they made the golden calf, right? And God, what did God want to do? He told Moses, get out of my way. I'm going to wipe them out and restart with you. And then Moses went down to the people, destroyed the, the, the golden calf. And then he says, you know, you need to stop all that. Well, you, you've done a great sin. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go up to the Lord now and talk to him. And I'm going to intercede on your behalf. Peradventure, he might forgive your sins. You remember? And he indeed went up to the mountain. And he intervened and he told God, look, you know, please forgive us. Otherwise, take my name out of the book. I think you know the story, right? I'm just, it's in Exodus uh, 32, I think. The point here is Moses was doing what? He was working and functioning as the mediator, as the go-between. And so this is what Paul had in mind, who was familiar with all. This is what Paul had in mind when he wrote in Galatians that the law was given and ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. That's who he was referring to. Why is this so important? Because Moses, the mediator, had something to say about the other mediator. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and see the significance of that. Deuteronomy, Old Testament, chapter 18. And verses 15 down to 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning with verse 15. Moses here speaking. He says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not... Hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth. Sorry, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. It's repeated here twice, this particular prophecy, that God is going to raise up a prophet. And Moses is repeating it here, and the context is very clear. This prophet would stand as a go-between or a 
mediator. Two points I want to focus on here. Obviously, this prophecy is referring to who? None other than Christ. Christ is this other prophet who would come and who would have God's words in him and who would function as a go-between. But the significant two points I want to emphasize is this. First of all, he says, this prophet would arise from the midst of thee, of thy brethren. What does that mean? To be a Hebrew, but not only that, a human being, obviously. That's the, the more important aspect. In other words, he says, this prophet's going to be like me. He's going to be from among you, one of you, truly, not pretending, but truly one of you, a human being, a Hebrew and a human being. And then it says, he will also be like unto me. And that's a key here. Like unto me in what capacity? He will stand between you and God. He will issue to you God's instructions, God's laws. He will speak to you God's will. He will reveal to you that which God desires. Unto him ye shall hearken. In other words, Moses is saying, in my capacity as a mediator, this is only representing that which is to come. When that prophet comes, make sure you hear him. That is why... Exodus 7, verse 1, where, where God made Moses uh, as a God to Pharaoh. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Good point. In Exodus 7.1, God made Moses as a Pharaoh, told him he shall be God to Pharaoh. And he was as God's spokesman or representative or go-between. Good point. Exactly. Thank you. And so the significance of this prophecy cannot be underestimated. You know, the, the Deuteronomy 18.15 8, here that we're talking about is a very, very significant prophecy about the coming of Christ as this mediator. That's why we're talking about the two Mediators. He would be a go-between. He would be a legislator, a lawgiver, an arbiter, a connector between these two parties, like Moses was. The difference, obviously, is he would not just be the mediator for Israel. He would be the mediator for all of humanity. And that's what Paul is talking about. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And see the significance of this again. How it's represented. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 down to 6. What we're talking about here really is the new covenant. And the old covenant. Hebrews chapter 3. Before we read the verses. The old covenant had a mediator. The mediator was? Moses. The new covenant has a mediator. The mediator is? is Christ. That's what we're talking about. This is the two aspects we're comparing and contrasting here. And this is what these verses bring out. Hebrews 3 verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. So he's now comparing two individuals, Christ with Moses. Verse four, uh, 3, for this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant 
for a testimony of those things which will be to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. The author here is comparing Christ and Moses, and he's also contrasting Christ and Moses. He says Christ was, uh, you know, like it says in verse 4, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. But then he says, Christ is also faithful in all his house as a son. So we have a better mediator. But then he says that Moses was also, he was faithful in his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which are to be spoken after. What does that mean? As a testimony or as a witness or as a type, the, the function and the role of Moses as a servant of that house or as the mediator of the covenant was a type or a small scale picture of the greater glory of the greater mediator that was to come. And in the prophecy that we read in Deuteronomy 18, we see Moses spelling it out clearly saying, listen, look out for the time when God will raise that prophet from among you who is like me. That is why, if you remember, when John the Baptist started preaching, the Pharisees sent him messengers to ask him certain questions. And one of the questions that they asked him was, are you that prophet? What were they thinking of? They were thinking of the prophecy of Moses, saying, are you that prophet? Which prophet? The prophet that Moses says, unto you the Lord my God will raise a prophet like unto me. You see, since Moses, there was never a prophet like Moses. Daniel was not like Moses. Jeremiah was not. Isaiah was not. None of these prophets were ever like Moses. What he was talking about was directly pointing to Christ. Only Christ would fulfill that. He would be the mediator of the new covenant. And so the entire ministry of Moses was serving as a testimony, as a witness as a type and a picture of that which is to come. Let's go to Malachi chapter 4. End of the New Test uh, Old Testament, sorry, end of the Old Testament here, and see how this is linked together. Malachi chapter 4. <clears throat> now we're looking at the very last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi. And in chapter 4, he gives this prophecy, verses 4 down to 6. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. He says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And then... Nothing else happens as far as revelations from heaven until the very next thing that happens is the coming of Christ. The next book is, you turn the page and there is Matthew, right? Maybe two pages. There is a middle divider. Now, between these two pages, how many years passed? Approximately 400 years. So the very last thing that heaven communicated to God's people at the time through Malachi was, remember the law of Moses. I'm going to send you Elijah to prepare the way before the coming of the great day of the Lord. And then there is silence until 
the coming of that prophet that was prophesied, Christ. Very, very interesting and very, very significant. Now, these verses, I find that they're quoted a lot today in a certain particular context. I'm going to examine that briefly as well. And they're also misunderstood. We need to understand why did God give these words? In other words, he's saying you need to remember something to recognize the prophet that is coming, to recognize the Messiah when he comes. You need to remember what I told Moses, my servant. All the things that I instructed him with all the statutes and judgments, you need to remember that because all these things served as a testimony, as a witness, as a type and a prophecy of the coming Messiah. If you want to recognize him, don't forget what I told Moses because that's what will help you identify him. And I will also send you Elijah who will prepare the way for the arrival of the Messiah. That's how the Old Testament scripture closes. It just shows you the whole focus and the whole point of the Old Testament scriptures is to point to one thing only, the coming of Christ, that prophet that Moses prophesied about, that mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus comments on that. Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> I think we all know, I don't need to go to all the verses where Jesus tells us that the fulfillment of the coming of Elijah was who? John the Baptist. He says, Elias surely cometh and he has come. He was talking about John the Baptist. Uh, when the angel Gabriel was speaking to Zechariah, uh, telling his father, you know, uh, about what John would do, he says he will go in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He was quoting what verse? Malachi 4 that we just read. That's why God had said, remember what I told Moses. 400 years it took. And then the fulfillment came. And so Christ comments on that, Matthew 11. Let's read verses 13 to 14. Well, then just two verses. Matthew eleven thirteen. 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. Interesting. What does he mean when he says, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, what's he mean when he says that? John the last prophet in the Old Testament. Okay, John was the last prophet to the Old Testament. John stood as the transition, exactly. John was the transition point between the two dispensations. The dispensation of the law and the prophets, and what he refers to, as we shall come to as well, the fulfillment of what the law and the prophets talked about. When we talk about the law, it says all the prophets and the law prophesied. What does it mean when it says the law prophesied? What's the word law mean here? It's not talking about the Ten Commandments, is it? It's talking about the entire system of the law that was given through Moses, that law that was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator, that was a compacted prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. Jesus is saying, listen, all the prophets and all the law, their purpose, they serve the function of prophesying up until John. As a, as a pedagogue, okay, as a teacher or instructor or schoolmaster, that's true. And from John, now you're seeing the realization or the fulfillment of all these prophecies. A transition point from the system of one mediator to the real mediator that was to really connect us with God. Because Moses did not truly connect us with God, did he? If Moses' mediation and that system was perfect, there would not have been a need to 
have another one. It was a type. It was a prophecy. We're not living here. We're living in the fulfillment, in the reality. That's really, that's the point. And so, in like manner, the same prophecy of Malachi 4 helps us to understand the other aspects of the fulfilling of all the prophecies of the Old Testament as far as the coming of Christ as a second, uh, a second time. To understand the coming of Christ as the second time, we also need to remember the law of Moses and the statutes and judgments there because they are prophetic. And remember here does not necessarily mean to keep them as such. This is one area where people have a different debate as far as the statutes and judgment and the feasts. But the, the point here is remember what I said to Moses. It's a prophecy. We're going to come back to that in a minute. I want to clarify that as well. That prophecy points to the coming of Christ, primarily the first coming, but also the second coming. And that's why we still go to the Old Testament and look at different types and learn from them and keep them in mind so that we can understand things that will still happen. Isn't that right? That's what we do. What did happen when Christ came? Let's go to John chapter 1. <clears throat> I'm just trying to hurry here before our stomachs complain too much because our noses are assailed by the smell coming from the kitchen. So <laughs> we're thinking about lunch. It smells really nice, huh? We'll get to it in a minute. We'll get to that meal, but we'll finish this meal first. So let's, let's stay together. What happened when Christ came? John chapter 1. Before we read the verse, I want to keep something in mind. The coming of Christ is the most significant event in the entire history of the universe. The coming of Christ as a man. Never before was it, has it ever occurred that the Son of God took on intrinsically the form of one of his creatures. It never happened before. The only time it happened is when he came as a man. He became a human being for the very first time. And he came to be a human being to save us and he died. It's the most important event in the whole history of the universe. And so when Christ came in fulfillment of all these prophecies that Moses had given, he brought a flood of light to the world. And the coming of Christ also brought change to the system of things that were there. Because just like God did with Moses, he instituted a new system. He gave Moses new laws and instructions. He instituted a covenant through that mediator. So the coming of Christ as a man and as a mediator as a man meant that God was also instituting instructions and a new system and laws and new covenants. That's what we're comparing, this transition point. So let's look at John 1 verse 17 is what I want to focus on here. John 1 verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Very simple verse, very short verse. A very profound verse. Now, some people say, well, you know, the word but is added there because it's an italics. Uh, that word should be and. And we want to understand what is John trying to say here? What is the thought that the author is trying to convey when he says, the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ? He's making the same comparison that Paul is making, right? And that comparison in it, there is also a contrast the two are not equal the question i think we need to ask is a question of when in order to understand what john is talking about here 
we need to understand the time period. The law was given by Moses. When did that happen? It was at Mount Sinai, Sinai correct? Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. When did that happen? Okay, on the cross. At Calvary, okay. He's not referring to the same time period as Moses, is he? He's contrasting two time periods. And what, and he's contrasting two mediators, really, and what they brought. All we have to do is look at verse 14 to understand when did grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. I think we all know verse 14. Let's read it. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. So when John's saying grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, he's referring to when Christ came as a man. So he's saying the law was given by Moses at Sinai and lasted for all this time. Grace and truth now came by Jesus Christ when he came as a man. He's contrasting the two mediators of the two covenants and the greater reality of this new covenant. Let's look at another, uh, well, we don't need to look at that verse, but that's the point that uh, John is making here. Remember Jesus told the Pharisees one day, he says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses prophesied of this grace and truth that would come when that prophet would come. Something to look forward to. Something that would bring a greater reality and a great change as well. Let's go to Luke 16. Let's see how else Jesus says this. Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> Luke chapter 16. And verse 16. Luke 16, 16. This is also along the same lines of a verse we just read earlier in Matthew 11. It says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Here Jesus is speaking. What's he referring to? He's referring to exactly the same thing that John said. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And he's saying, this law and the prophets lasted until the coming of John. John stood as the transition mark or the transition point. You with me? Luke 16, 16 is where we're at. I'm just, I'm just looking at the verse, right? Is everyone with me so far? I'm just getting a few people might not have found the right verse. I don't know, but uh, just to make sure you understand me. And when we talk about the law, can we safely replace the word the law with Moses? Would that be a safe thing to say? Because the law was given through whom? Moses. When we talk about this in the Hebrew mindset, when, when Paul writes or any Hebrew, when we talk about the law, they don't say, well, maybe the Ten Commandments or maybe these laws. They understand the law is the books of the law that were written by Moses. So Moses was representative of the law. And this is why when Christ came, they were afraid that Christ was doing away with the law or doing away with Moses. And the point that, as we shall see, is Moses had prophesied of this coming prophet that would do all these things and be a mediator of this new covenant. So the law and the prophets, or Moses, who gave the law, uh, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. What's the kingdom of God represented as? Kingdom of grace. Thank you. Exactly. 
Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You see the contrast is being made here? There's a number of verses that bring that out. But also represent the kingdom of God, the king. And the king, obviously. The kingdom would not be a kingdom without the king. Exactly. It's the, the king of that kingdom coming and, of, of course, dwelling in our hearts. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. Just a few verses to that effect here. Because, like I said, sometimes some of these verses can be misunderstood. And maybe we miss the import and the impact that the authors are trying to convey to us in some of these verses. This beautiful, beautiful picture. Acts 13 and verse 39. Acts chapter 13 and verse 39. And by him, that is by Christ, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Moses. Here we see this contrast again. In other words, the law of Moses was not enough. Something else was needed. That's why Moses says there's this coming prophet. The law of Moses was incapable of accomplishing what, according to this verse? Justification was incapable. That's why John says the law was given by Moses, but that could not justify us. That could not save us. Now we have grace and truth that came by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. This grace and truth now can enable us to be justified when we believe. Unlike what was before. That's why we're saying Moses and that whole system was but a small scale picture, an imperfect picture or a type or a shadow of the greater truth and reality that was to come. Hebrews chapter 7, we read it, I think it was read earlier, I just mentioned it to you, for the law made nothing perfect. Remember that? Hebrews 7 verse 19 says, the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Once again, we see here this contrast. The law of Moses, obviously, and the law and the whole system that was given in that particular period or that particular dispensation made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did make perfect. That's right. Because the law is incapable of giving life. It's exactly right. Scripture says that. Because if, the, if life was by commandment, then God surely would have given that. But the bringing in of a better hope did. That better hope was the coming of Christ. When he brought grace and truth. That's why a number of verses bring it out. The law was weak through the flesh. In that, uh, it could not take away sin. What's this? I'm trying to think of Romans 8. The law was weak through the flesh. It could not accomplish. The system of law could not accomplish on its own. God had to send his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to accomplish what he wanted. So that's why Moses says, like unto me, but only greater. Much greater. And so we see those two. That's right. That's right. And so the Bible is contrasting two things here. Something that was glorious with something that is more glorious. It's contrasting the dispensation of grace with the dispensation of law. So, and, and some people get a bit, you know, funny with oh, dispensation, all that. Dispensation is a biblical term, and it's a term that's uh, used repeatedly in the spirit of prophecy. There's no need to be worried or, 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 or concerned about dispensation. There, there are two very clear dispensations. 
the dispensation of the law which was given by Moses and the dispensation of grace and truth which came by Jesus Christ. There's no need to be afraid of these things. And he's contrasting these two prophets with the, the two mediators with the two covenants that they represented, these two dispensations. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. How's our time? Wow, okay, we're getting close. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Included in that system or in that covenant, as we read earlier, it says that Moses was a servant in the house as a testimony of the things that were to come. You see, not only was Moses a testimony, but the elements and the things that were contained in that covenant also served as a testimony or as a witness or as a prophecy or a type. The different ordinances and the different things that God instituted in that system served a prophetic role. In other words, they also had a temporary purpose. Their role would be valid up until the fulfillment. Once the fulfillment came, then their purpose and their role would finish. You with me? And this is the point Paul is trying to make in this verse. Let's read it together. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The law had a shadow of good things to come. Paul. Yes, true. The, the law, according to Paul, it's referring to here. Paul is writing at what time period? Roughly. It's, he's writing after Christ has come, right? And he's referring to, he's, he's now, drawing, the whole book of Hebrews really goes in detail about this, in, in great detail. But he's contrasting, says what they had was but a shadow of the better things that were to come. What they had was not the very image of, of itself. In other words, what they had was not the reality that it pointed forward to. It was only a shadow. That's what Moses had prophesied about. And until such a time when the reality came, God gave this system that contained prophecies, that contained shadows, that contained types that would point forward to Christ. Let's go, look at Hebrews 9. Verse 1 as well. Hebrews 9, verse 1. We'll just look at a few verses here quickly. Hebrews 9, 1. What are we talking about? Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Talking about the same thing. Talking about the law, which was a shadow of things to come. In this law, he refers to it as the first covenant. And it says it had ordinances of divine service. In other words, the ordinances that were given originated with who? God. It was God's idea. It was a divine instruction giving these ordinances that were part of the services of the first covenant. <coughs> but Paul's point is all these things served as a shadow of things to come. What were some of these ordinances of a divine service that served as a shadow? What were some of these ordinances? He spells it out in another letter. And this is, again, one of these verses that are really contested today. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. What are some of these ordinances of divine service that Paul refers to as a shadow 
of good things to come. He spells it at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. It says here, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of good things to come, but the body is of Christ, or the body of Christ. So Paul here lists specifically some of these shadows that he associates with the system of law that was of divine origin and divine services, but they serve the purpose of a shadow. He lists specifically some of these things such as meat and drink, new moons, feast days, and... Sabbath days. Now, what's it referred to when it says the Sabbath here? This is not talking about the seventh day Sabbath, is it? The seventh day Sabbath was an institution that preceded Moses. It comes all the way from creation. It was not shadowy. It was not typical. It was not prophetic of anything. It was actually a reality. Paul is here dealing with the aspects of the law that he refers to as shadow. And he lists them. Now, the reason why I'm using this verse is because I get asked a lot today about the question of the feast days. Maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you're wondering about that. Maybe you're studying it. A lot of people say, what about the feast days? You know, do we keep the feast days or not? What happens when it comes to the feast? And that's a very valid, good question. How do we relate to some of these things? Well, the Bible makes clear that these things, as far as Paul was concerned, they serve the purpose of being shadows of good things too. Come, the question is, have the good things come yet or not? Has the mediator of the new covenant arisen yet or not? Has the prophecy of Moses that the Lord will raise unto you a prophet like unto me, has that come true yet or not? And when you answer that question, then it makes it very clear how we relate to these things. We can remember them, we can study them, but the obligation to keep them is not something that God intends for us. They belong to that system of shadows and types. They were pointing forward to the time of reformation. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And, and the reason I'm saying this, like I said, because this is asked a lot, and uh, what I said, you might differ with what I say, no problem. I'm not trying to say this to upset anyone as such. We're just trying to see what the witness, what the testimony of the scripture is about these things, so we can understand them. Hebrews 9:10. Speaking about the system of sacrifices and ordinances that were given there, it says, verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imp imposed on them until the time of reformation. What is the time of Reformation that this verse is referring to here? I'll give you a clue. It's not Martin Luther and the, and the Protestant Reformation. It's referring to the cross. We don't generally refer to the coming of Christ as a man and what he did on the cross. We don't refer to that as the Reformation, right? If I were to ask you, what's the Reformation? You think 1500s. Paul here says these things were given. They were imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. Christ came. He is the greatest reformer. He is the mediator of that new covenant. These things find their fulfillment when Christ came, when this reformation, the time of the reformation came. And that is why we do not find that there is any 
instruction or need for us to continue observing all these different systems that were given uh, or th these different ordinances that were given in that system. And like I said, I have an, many uh, good friends that believe that we should keep the feasts and who keep the feasts. And they have a very uh, honest desire to want to do the right thing. I'm not trying to say anything negative about them as such, but the question is, is this truly something that God intends for us today? You see, what God did, brothers and sisters, when he gave the feasts and the holy days and all the different ordinances, he tied them intrinsically to the system of Levitical priesthood and to the temple at the time. That's when they were given, and that's what they were associated with. As a matter of fact, it was impossible for you to keep or observe the feasts or any other ordinances without the priesthood and without the temple. You actually had to go to the temple and involve yourself or be involved in, an, in a service that the priest had to preside over in order to fulfill God's instruction in that regard. You with me? And so when that system came to an end, all the associated practices with it came to an end when the time of reformation arrived. It is impossible today, biblically, to keep the feasts without the Levitical priesthood and without the temple. You realize that? And so we have no warranty to disassociate that which God has put together and apply some and not the whole. It actually distorts the picture that God is trying to say. It puts a question mark on, do we really believe that the time of reformation has come? Because these things were imposed until such a time. If they are still to be imposed today, has the time of reformation really come or not? That's the question. That's what we need to examine. Is God going to make the Levites priesthood again 144,000? Good question. Quick answer, no, because the Levitical priesthood came to a permanent end when that system came, uh, finished, when the curtain was rent. The priests, as it talks about in the book of Revelation and the 144,000, are made priests like Christ after his order. He's of the order of Melchizedek, not the Levitical priesthood. So they are they're not going to be high priests like Christ or anything like that, but they serve in the capacity and function as his 144,000, his priests of his order. They can be of a different order to him. That would, that would not gel, gel very well. But that's, that's a whole different topic. But let's just quickly uh, addressing that point. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. We're getting, Hebrews 9.10 is the verse we looked at. These things were imposed until the time of the Reformation. Hebrews 8.13 is our next verse. We're going kind of backwards in Hebrews, but it keeps repeating. This point keeps repeating in that particular epistle. Verse 13, he says, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. You see, that's why Paul insists that in the book of Hebrews, with that change of priesthood, there is a change of the entire covenant. We don't go to the same mediator of the old covenant with the same ordinances. We have a new covenant with a new mediator with new ordinances because these ordinances served as shadows and types of what we are to experience here. You with me? We have the, the whole point of the New Testament is the Old Testament prophecy has been fulfilled. We now have Christ. We now have this mediator between God and man, the man Christ, Jesus. Let's look at Hebrews 7. We looked at that, I think, earlier, but let's quickly review it because we're almost at the end. So, good news. 
Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12. I was just going to say to that, I can see where this is reversed to Jacob, the stairwell, and it continues upwards is what you're saying. Okay, the ladder and Christ at the top. And that's how he then became Okay, interesting point. Thank you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12. <clears throat> Notice what the author here of Hebrews says again. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the <coughs> law. When the priesthood changed, the law that was associated with that priesthood and all the different ordinances and all the different instructions, there is also of necessity a change to, <coughs> excuse me, to that. I think we all know. What brought about that change? Christ. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It's, it's basically trying to tell us what God gave through Moses is not what God is giving us again through Christ. He's giving us something called grace and truth. He's giving us the reality of the shadow. So we need to be careful of how we see those two particular dispensations or these two uh, systems. <clears throat> Like I said, uh, I, I'm mentioning the feast days, and I, I don't want to step on any toes here, but I'm mentioning it because it's a topic that I get asked a lot about today by a lot of people. There's a lot of people going, you know, and saying, well, you know, we need to keep or not keep. So people ask us. They write us or they call us or when we go different places, they ask us, what, 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 what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What I think about the feast is, is not really relevant to our discussion. What does the Bible say about it? What does the picture that the Bible is trying to give to us? What? portrait is it painting for us? How do all these things fit in the big picture? That is the question. And so this is how I understand what the Bible is saying. Obviously, there might be a difference or discussion. Sure, we can sit down and discuss some of these things. No problem at all. But there's a, there is a genuine honest belief today. A lot of people saying, you know, are the feast days still binding on us? Uh, do we still keep the feast because in them there is perhaps a blessing more than any other day? The answer to these questions is no, there isn't. Because with the change of the priesthood, there came about a change of the law. And we have no warrant to select one portion of that law and make it valid and ignore all the other portions of the same law. We have no warrant to pick and choose what we like. This is where we need to be consistent. And so we have a greater covenant with a greater mediator. We have a greater revelation. This is precisely what the Jews failed to recognize. You know that? They stayed stuck in that system and failed to recognize that the coming of Christ and the change that he brought meant that now we have the reality. They stuck to the shadows and to the forms and they murdered the reality. Right? And they murdered him using what? The law of Moses, as far as they misinterpreted it. That was the problem. And we are in no less danger today. So there's a great transition. Yes. I'm glad. Can we discuss it in, in a discussion after just because of the recording and to just stay on this track? I'll be happy to discuss if you have any questions afterwards. I don't want to ignore it, but just to keep on the same line of thought. And so in Hebrews chapter 1, we have the beginning of that book. And like I said to, to everyone, I don't know where, where everyone's position is and, and speaking about something like that, I'm very likely to, to step on some toes. That's not my point. That's not my purpose. It's just to share. 
Hebrews 1. I want to know, I want to focus on this verse, verses 1 and 2, because it has a beautiful picture again. God with sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. A few points I want to make here. According to verse 2, when the author wrote the book of Hebrews, he refers to the time period as the last days, correct? Has in these last days. We're still living in these last days. How long ago was this book written? About 2,000 years ago. Last days as opposed to the former or earlier days. He's contrasting two things. Because he says in former times, in different ways and means. God spoke to the fathers how? By the, by the prophets. Correct? One, the greatest, one of the greatest prophets uh, who stood as the mediator of that period was Moses. John the Baptist is obviously a greater one according to Jesus. But God spoke to his people through prophets. Paul, the author here, is contrasting that. He says, today, in these last days, God is speaking in a different way. Right? Well, how is he speaking to us? By his son. I put it to you that when God speaks to us through his son, it is a superior way of speaking. It is a clearer way of speaking. It is a clearer revelation than he could give through the prophets. The best that he could give through the prophets was prophecies and shadows and types. What he can give in his son is the reality of what he wants to communicate to us. And that's how Paul is opening up the book of Hebrews. He's saying, telling them, listen, this epistle is about the greater reality that God has spoken to us in his son. It, is, it far supersedes and excels what God spoke through the prophets. Now, it doesn't mean what God says through a prophet is bad or, or, or is, is uh, irrelevant. It is just a clearer and greater reality. We have this now. So let us not just focus and get stuck on what was given through these prophets as the shadows. Let us move to the reality of Christ. That's his whole point in the book of Hebrews. That's the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews. And if we miss that, I believe we miss the whole point of the book of Hebrews. We totally, we totally miss that. And so there is... A transition that takes place here. Let's go to chapter 8. <clears throat> chapter 8 and verse... Okay, almost there. Three minutes. <laughs> chapter 8 and verse 6. Moving from the types to the realities, from the shadow to the substance. Verse 6 says, But now hath he, that's Christ, obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Now, we don't have time to go through all the details that's contained in this verse. But briefly, here it tells us that Christ obtained a more excellent ministry. More excellent ministry than who? Than Moses' ministry and the Levitical priesthood ministry. We have this greater one. By how much, as a result, he is a mediator of a better covenant. Better than what? Than the old covenant. Why? Because it's a covenant of shadows and types. We have the covenant of reality. And this covenant is established upon better promises. We have these promises now as ours. That's why Christ's name was Emmanuel. What does that name mean? God with us. You know, they did not have Emmanuel in the old covenant. You realize that? 
When he came as a man, it's when his name was called Emmanuel. It was prophesied that he would come and be born of a virgin and be called Emmanuel. And they looked forward to that time. That time is ours. That time is here. And so this is why the entire focus of the preaching of the disciples, time and again, was to emphasize this transition. I want to use one illustration. This is our last verse in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 and verse, well, we'll read a few verses here from verse 22. <clears throat> Time and again, this prophecy of Moses was repeated to the Jewish leaders, the unbelieving Jewish leaders, to remind them that the time for the transition has come. Notice how Peter says it. Verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. What verse is Peter referring to here? The one we read from Moses in Deuteronomy 18. The prophecy of this coming prophet. Here is Peter standing before the Jews, very likely the very ones who had killed Christ, and he's quoting the, the, to them from Moses and he's saying, this prophecy of Moses has been fulfilled. Verse 23, And it shall come to pass that every soul which shall not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. He's telling them, listen, the coming of Christ is a fulfillment of these prophecies. The prophecy of Moses and the prophecy that was given to Abraham, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It's the fulfillment, the grand realization has now come. That verse in Deuteronomy 18, to be quite honest with you, I never realized its importance before. But it's repeated by the apostles. When the apostles preached Christ, that's what they refer to. They quoted the prophecy of Moses. It's a very significant, very important prophecy. It tells us about this greater mediator that we have. This truth, of course, cut to the very heart of the Jewish leaders. It was the testing message of the time. Will you accept the time of Reformation? Or will you stay in the old system of types and shadows. That's what the whole thing was about. And so when the curtain ripped, when Christ died, you know what the Jews did? They sewed it up and kept on going, not even realizing what had happened. Do we realize what has happened? Brothers and sisters, we have now in the sanctuary in heaven, a human being, Christ Jesus, who is our mediator. We don't have Moses. We don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go through forms and ceremonies and systems. We can come directly Boldly, the Bible says, to the throne of grace and ask for, from the Father, as his children, ask for anything that we desire in Jesus' name. Isn't that what he said? You know, the people in the Old Testament, they didn't have this stuff. They dreamt about it. They looked forward to it. They didn't have it. We have it. Do we realize what we have? I put it to you that we don't. We really don't. Because if we did, I think things would be a lot Different. That's my challenge and that's my appeal to you today. Let us indeed realize what we have in Christ. He is now our one mediator. 
If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.